Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right, welcome everyone to Conversations here with Z and Caitlin. Hang out in the studio. Got a good workout in this morning. And Z, you and I have been talking about grief. And we worked out with someone who was going through a lot of challenges, who just lost someone very close to them. And found it difficult to function. So as we're going through this yoga workout, our friend couldn't do it felt physically debilitated. Mentally, the mind was all over the place. It was just one obstacle after the next to focus and just get into the routine. And I saw this, and afterward we started talking about grief and talking about what this person had experienced. And the conversation came around to why does this happen? Why do we have to go through these challenges? This is so hard. I feel like my heart has been ripped out. I feel like the one person in this world who really understood me, who was there for me, is now gone. And and I just can't take it. And I keep on waiting for the pain to disappear. But it's not disappearing. And if, if anything, it's intensifying months later. So it's a sense of why me? What? Why is this happening? What is the resolution? How do I get past this? And you had a couple of interesting points. So one was that the pain is just a part of you. It's not going to go away. Maybe with time there's some healing, there's some distance. You brought up your brother who you lost over 15 years ago. And mentioned how if we kept on talking about this and talking about loss you would break down in tears because that memory and that connection is close enough that you would feel it like it happened yesterday. So that's always going to be there, this sense of loss, and we have to find a way to deal with it and move on because loss is going to happen. Grief is going to happen. We can't get through this life without losing someone. And if we lose someone, we can't get through this life without grieving Unless we have no ties to anyone or anything. And of course, there's no way to live. That's, that's not really a life. That's shutting ourselves out from all of the richness of, of relationships and human interaction. So grief is inevitable. Loss is inevitable. That's one thing we talked about. We talked about ways to manage grief and how sometimes it... It persists, and it persists over generations. We pass this on to our children because we never address it. And in the Western world, sometimes we're not comfortable talking about it. It's almost a source of embarrassment. We feel like we have to get on with our lives. We have to be strong. We talked about an example of a funeral you went to years ago where the officiant came out and said, all right, let's move on. Let's be strong. This person would have wanted us to be strong. No time for tears. And then you came out and you said, look, I'm not advocating a particular religion or the other, but I know 
that we have to cry. And I'm, I'm torn up about this. And if you feel this way, please cry with me. Let's get this out. And the whole congregation broke down. And it, it was painful, but I imagine that it was also a release. And it also started a healing process. So we talked about that. And then we also came around to this question of why do we grieve or maybe why do we face challenges and and how we can emerge stronger which is a theme that we've talked about in the past whether it's bitter medicine we do the things that make us stronger even if they don't taste so good we go through life we challenge ourselves that's how we grow grief and loss are painful but there's a certain beauty in that There's a beauty because it reminds us of what we lost. The whole fact that it's so painful is that we had something so valuable. And if we can deal with that, maybe we're no longer afraid. Maybe we can go through this life and we're not afraid of being attached and we can open ourselves. And there's a certain beauty in in living that way. So these are just some of the topics that came up today. Interesting that it was just catalyzed by this workout that we started. So Z... I'm going to open it up to you and and give us your thoughts. What are you thinking about with grief? Well, today when we were um, working out together and Mike was just overwrought with grief, I could feel it. I understand what that's like. And what I had to share with him and what I share with everybody, I have been very close to loss, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, for most of my life. I have had numerous, innumerable seasons of catastrophic losses of people that, that were very dear and near to me. I have held bodies as the life left the body. And it goes from a living, talking person to the empty carcass of the simply the emptiness of a of a bag of flesh. I look in people's eyes, even the living, and I watch them do stuff and I've seen the the eyes of the dead. The same eyes but nothing behind them. And it haunts you all the time. It's with you all the time. Everybody I know, I look at and I look in their eyes. And at the same time, I have an image of them staring back at me dead while they're alive. And it gives me this thing that I have with people. To be present. To be grateful. Because I believe that the debilitating grief is caused because it it is a kind of a theft of gratitude. People feel like something that they had that they valued or entitled to has been stolen from them. That's one of the worst kinds of grief. Because you feel like a thief took something from you that you were planning on praising. See the problem with that? Show gratitude. In every moment, that's what it's taught me. Don't plan tomorrow what you're going to do. Say what you're going to say today. Give what you're going to give 
today. Show up today. Because if you go through this enough times, you realize the fragility, the transiency, and the brief moment that life really is, the illusion of life, that we could just do this forever. The grief has weighed on me and has strengthened me like I've carried a backpack most of my life, like I've carried a hundred pound backpack. And what it did, it made me stronger and more present with the people in my life. Because every time I see them look at me and I look back at them, I also see them dead, like the Buddha's teaching. It also brings about a frustration when I hear people being petty, arguments, resentment. None of that matters. So working with Mike today, I was thinking about his mom had really fought off the cancer for years. She had beat cancer, fought. And everybody wanted her to be here forever without consideration of the extreme pain the woman was in with her overwhelming duty, same way Miss Harriet just passed. And for all the years of her life, she's carried six kids on her back while dealing with everyday life, running a business. And then when they go to sleep and they have the eternal sleep and they're on their next path through eternity, those that are left behind are mad, hurt. What are we mad about? Ask everybody who agrees. What do you mean? When I, you know, when I think about some of the people that that I know that I, I, I'm not mad anymore. I'm sad. I'm going to miss you, and I know I'll be with you in eternity, whatever that is, forever. But I miss you. I miss your voice. But were you mad when it first I, I, when, I, when I first happened? I was mad. I felt like something was stolen from me. I was young. I didn't understand. I thought I had a right to everything going where it, fitting where it's supposed to fit. Then it happened again. It happened again. And it happened again. Different people, different circumstances. But everybody had a piece of me. And when they died, they took a piece of me with them, like I lost an arm, a leg, a finger, a toe, an eye a liver, kidney. And then I would wake up. Sun would come up without them. Days, weeks would exist without them. The voicemails would be there, but the person was gone. I have people I know have passed away and they still have a Facebook page. The last message, I sent them, hey, give me a call. It's exhausting in one way, but also it's clearing in another way. Because what I have learned, and what I hope to share with others, is what the great sage Patanjali said in the Yoga Sutras is now. 
And I would challenge everyone to think about how lucky you were if your parents got old and died. My dad made it to 36. His baby brother made it to 34. My elder brother made it to 55. My niece made it to 20. My buddies in the war, Robertson, he would just turn 20. Hmm. Yeah. And then there are the people that get to live a long time and like Miss Harriet and she was just tired. She did 80 plus years and she said, I'm tired. She let us go. But each one is a part of you. And the living and the dead coexist. Because what is a living person but a person who's in your mind, that's in your senses day to day? What is the dead? The person who's in your mind and your senses. I ask anybody, if you love, somebody you love, you lost, can you close your eyes and think about something they would say to you all the time, a joke, a saying, an attitude? Was there a special way they looked at you? What's the difference? The difference is we get to water the gratitude of the living when those that have passed don't need your they don't need that watering anymore. You just have to savor it in your own self. And I would say too, don't let it debilitate it. Cry all your tears, but stay focused on what you're doing because the sun abides by no one. The sun will come up and you will have another day, another opportunity and you can say to yourself, this is going to be a good day or a bad day. I tell people all the time, let's try and start the day new, reflecting upon the mishaps and mistakes of yesterday. And upon the ending of this day, can we start new? Most people, no, no, I, I want to carry resentment or a grudge from last week, last month. And it's always seen when those people are faced with the loss, they suffer the most. You know, I was going to make up with that person had they not died. I know people mad at people because they were just about to make up. When my dad left, my mom and he had just went to therapy to reconcile their relationship. They had just got old enough to know that if they sought counseling, they could probably do better in their relationship. My mom was so happy about therapy. And then it happened. He was no more. Hmm. And she never married again. And she felt cheated. Grief. The stealing of gratitude. She felt cheated by life because she made some decisions she thought she could correct. All of us do that. So I'm here to say when I look at young Mike and 
I remember his beautiful mom and woman had beat cancer so many times and so much pain and, and she hung in there for other people. I want to be able to love people so much that they don't have to be here for me. I just want you to be at peace. I want you to be with the divine. I don't want you in any pain, even if it brings me comfort for another hour a day. I wouldn't want you to be in pain for any reason. I've met people who've just hung in there for other people, far beyond. I would never do that to the people I'm close to. I have reconciled my life and I've told anyone who cares, when I can no longer respond or speak to you, burn this shell, burn it right away. Do a good Hindu funeral pyre. Don't even announce it, just gone. And when people ask, Yaziz left. Well, when did he go? When was the last time you spoke to him? That's all you need to know. If you were close to me, when was the last time you spoke to me? When was the last time we hung out? If you love somebody, do it now. If you got friends you care about, do it now. Then when that time comes, which will come, your grief is less. That sense of theft, the burglaring of your gratitude is less because you left nothing behind. Everything that you had to offer, you carried with you. Your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your companions, your friends. Here in this house, at Dharma Health Institute, one of the reasons people feel so welcome is because I've worked really hard to create a welcoming environment because I know what it's like to be alone, to be friendless, to be grieving and not be relevant. So people come in here all the time and say, I feel so at home here. There's all manner of talk and banter and goes on. Everybody's weird, got their own bizarro behavior. They got a home here. It's a meeting spot. It's our you know, it's our outpost in the Kali Yuga. Because when I hear the voices and the laughter, I don't hear the missing voices. I don't hear my brothers teasing jokes to me. Whenever I teach, I invoke my mentors, living and dead. I said today, maintain your composure, as the great Willie White would always say. So they live in me. And the real grief is when they die, they die in you. When we're gone, the weekend after your death, most things will be back to normal. A year after your death, your name will rarely be spoken. Five years, a decade after your death, there will be no sign that you ever existed. 
all your personal papers, all your documents, your degrees, your licenses, your passports. None of that's going to be relevant. The clothes that you hoarded, your special shoe, your stamp collection. It'll be not much more than trash to most people because it'll have no sentiment attached to it in this world. We don't know what's on the other side, if there's anything. So true grief is a misguided idea that something was stolen from you. Healthy grief is the acknowledgement that the party's over. And it was such a good party. That was the greatest party I ever had. Sharing that time with you was wonderful. And I'm sad that it ended. But there will be other parties. And I'll carry you with me. That's the good grief. Nothing will ever replace you. But damn, we're going to carry you with us through the good times. And because I lost such a good thing, I know what a good thing is. And I will never waste my time. I will never waste time. I will never not open my heart. Because I want to laugh as hard as I cry. I want to feel the warmth in my heart as much as I feel the cold stabbing in my belly when someone you love is gone. That day after is horrible. And no one, no one can help you. So you have to just immerse yourself in it and remember I feel this bad because I felt so good. And in that place, in that part of your brain, in that library of your brain is stored forever, that essence. So you nurture it because it actually gives you more life. That's why people who've never been through much don't have the depth of connection. I believe it takes great losses to understand simple blessings. When I meet people who have been insulated from these types of losses, they tend not to be that deep. They feel entitled to. They seem spoiled. They always walk around disappointed with the people in their life. Oh, you could have did this for me or that for me. They thrive pettiness. Oh, let's have a surprise get together. Let's have this. Let's have that. Let's have a lot of symbolism and theater around human relationship. Man, I don't want any of that. I don't want a birthday party. Uh, none of that stuff. I want it every day. If you're going to have a birthday party for me, have it every day. Doesn't have to be a big thing, just every day. Bring me my rebel chocolate drink or whatever it is. Ask me if you could pick up something for me when you go out the store. Just 
Just let me know I'm here in your heart. That's what it taught me. When I look in the eyes of people, did you notice me? Doesn't have to be a big deal. Just did you notice me? There's a beautiful thing when somebody says, Hey, man, you you look tired today. I go, oh, yeah. My best friend will call me and say, Man, you sound tired. You okay? Yeah, I'm tired, but I'm okay because you, you know me. I'm here. Because when I'm dead, you won't know if I'm tired or not. What can I do to help you? My nephew came by the other day, and we have a ritual with all my nephews. They all know whenever they come over my house, before they leave, they're going to have to work out with me. You know that. And everybody that's close to me knows it's going to end up in a workout of some kind. Can you see that? It's going to end up in a workout of some kind. And... I like that because I'm going to always set a bar, be healthy, be well. And sometimes I meditate and I imagine when I'm gone, will they keep the workout ritual going? And 50, 60 years from now, and they're old men. Will they have one of the youngsters come up and have a kickback with them and do a workout? That way I live forever in their heart. So my grief has fertilized a garden in my heart of gratitude and grace. I love openly. You see, when I teach my classes, I don't just teach classes. When I work on clients... People say, you don't have healthy boundaries with people. I I immerse myself in whatever I'm doing. Because I know what that day is like after. I know the day after. I was at a funeral recently for Miss Harriet. Saw everybody there, and they brought the box in. Hell, two weeks ago, she was right here with me. I went and held her hand. I got pictures. Well, a year ago, she was boxing and lifting weights, watching the kids, helping a woman who had had a stroke that was younger than her. And I glanced over at the box with that wax figurine-like thing and thought, well, what a strange ritual we do, displaying the empty bag. It hurts so much because... I knew she wasn't in that box. She was never in that box. She's right here in me. Same way you are. Same way my brother. They all live in the same place. All you guys live in the same place. And the only difference is I can let you know it. And you can let me know you know I know it. Those that are gone, they, they, they can't give you the feedback. Not in a way we can hear. Maybe there's another frequency. Maybe i got to tune into that radio station. Every now and then you can. They have interesting ways of letting us know they're around. Right? 
And I know sometimes when you... It's just time to go. We just don't know when that time is for all of us. And definitely for the people we care about. I'm not worried about my time to go. I just don't... I would prefer to go before everybody else. Because another beautiful thing about loss and grief and the nearness to death is you don't fear it anymore. It's like you don't fear the rain when you live in Seattle. You know? It's so common. It's just something you get, you work with. So too with the transiency of life. Just look at the people you know and love that are here. Look in their eyes and think about when that body, when that energy leaves that body, everything will be there except that energy. So focus on the energy. And again, I, I, I don't own the truth and I can only share my experience. You should love people while they're here. Hang out with them while they're here. Give of yourself of them while you're here. Don't over plan. Don't always ask for more. Avoid pettiness that takes you away from your loved ones. That's just a thought. A few things you said, Z, really resonate. When we think about grief, I hear you talk about expectation. And maybe there are two different types of expectation which lead to the type of grief that we can't get beyond or that's destructive for us. One form of expectation is a blindness, a blindness to reality. A sense that people are going to be around forever. It's like what we talk about in the Mahabharata, the observation that the most phenomenal thing in the world is everyday people watch hundreds of thousands, millions of people go to their death, but you still think you're going to live forever and the people around you are going to live forever. And then you're not prepared when when someone goes. And sometimes it happens unexpectedly. Sometimes it happens way too soon. That's life and being grounded in that reality. Preparing yourself for that and not preparing yourself in some kind of a morbid way or a fearful way, just having a recognition of what, what is, aligning yourself with the way the world works. It, it sounds so simple, yet so many of us forget that all of this could end instantaneously. Would we really live the way that we do? Would we get wrapped up in, in the bullshit and the drama and the grievances if we always maintain that awareness? There was something else I read once. I forget who quoted this, but I thought it was interesting. It was a sadhu who talked about how he lived. and He said that the way he lived, he always imagined that there was a scimitar hanging above his neck, suspended by a single strand of a spider's web. And at any moment, he could go. But that informed his life. It reminds me of 
the Naga Sadhus that you talk about, you say it's a great day to die. Because I know it could happen. But I've left nothing undone. So that's one form of expectation. Uh, just the recognition that there's this transience and there's this ebb and this flow and there's a certain unpredictability and there's nothing that we can do about that and we need to maintain that reality. And the second, which perhaps is related to the first, is this expectation that we're going to have the time to correct all of the errors that we've made or to, to show love to the people that we care about to get beyond whatever pettiness that we had. We can fix the problem. There's always tomorrow. And that to me is the most profound idea that there's no time. There's no time except now and whatever we're going to do, just, just fucking do it. Just do it this instant. And I think about the people who are close to me and yeah, I would feel a lot of pain if, if they were no longer here. But if if I truly felt like I'd given everything of myself to them, I'd feel better. At least the degree of pain would be less. There wouldn't be that sense of of something lingering, something unsaid, something undone. I've they're gone. I've done my best for them. I've loved them. I've treated them well. I've helped them. I've I've guided them where. I could, I've, I've shared with them, I've listened to them. There's no unmet obligation, there's no failure on my part. And, and I, I believe you're right, Z, that if you've got, if you've satisfied that, that debt, there's a certain peace of mind that you carry around with yourself. And and that, to me, is a very powerful lesson. Think about my kids. and I think about death a lot. I haven't lost the same way that you have, but it's on my mind. Whether it's me, whether it's my parents, my wife, my children, that's the one that always is most pointed for me. You know, what, what would I do if I lost my heart and my soul and fuck I can't control it but while I'm here I'm going to do everything that I can so what you're saying is perhaps a shift in perspective in some ways it's incredibly obvious in other ways it's something that we so easily forget just cultivating that awareness. And we've talked about ways of doing that, of waking up in the morning, meditating on death, recognizing the transience of life. For me, another one is remembering what's important. We end up with nothing. How important is it that I get what I want in a particular situation that I can prove my point that I can win some argument. What does that mean compared to the richness of a relationship, the connection to something greater than yourself? Isn't that what we all want? You want to feel alone. You want to feel like you're part of something yeah. bigger than you. And and that comes through the way that we relate to the people around us. So all very very sound thoughts 
I'm going to push you a little bit on this, D, and ask you how universal this is, because we talk about ways of dealing with grief. Or it's actually not dealing with grief. It's dealing with life in a way that allows us to sit with grief, not be debilitated by grief. But what do we do in the truly horrific situations? There's some of those you've been through. I'll give you an example. I look at my grandmother who died at the age of 94. And she was sitting on the couch as she normally does in the morning. One day she slumped over. I was at 94 years old. I spoke at the service we had for her. I had a smile on my face the whole time thinking about her. What else could you want? Nothing. There's no more that that you could want. There's no better way to go after you've had a long life, well lived. You die. You're you do so quickly. You do so in a way that's free of pain. You do so at home, surrounded by people and memories that are important to you. So that's one extreme. I mean, that's if everything goes right. And I had great peace around that. Yeah, there were parts of me that were a little bit sad, but for the most part, I thought of her and, and I smiled. And, and I wasn't, I, I, I grieved very little. Now, I contrast that with, you take an example of someone we know, our friend, Smacy, whose daughter was murdered at the age of 16, completely unexpected, number one. who reverses the natural order of things. The child goes before the parent. Not only that, there's someone directly responsible for the death, someone that you can blame, someone that that you can fixate your, your grief and your rage on, and it could probably eat you alive. You take that sort of situation, just horrific loss, or you think about people, you mentioned the tsunami, how you met, a 15-year-old who lost anyone that they'd ever seen. There was no one left that they even recognized. Think about wars where people are, entire families are, are wiped out. You have a couple of survivors and they've watched, they've watched the slaughter of the people closest to them. What do we do in those situations? Do the same principles apply? As you were talking, I was thinking about there's healthy grief, which is the acknowledgement of the good times we shared. And there is the unhealthy soul-stealing grief where there was so much left undone that I felt betrayed or burgled of this opportunity that I deferred. I thought I was going to get back to it. I thought we'd have time to make up. And the beautiful grief of your grandmother that brought a smile to your face and a quiet to your heart, that is the most beautiful thing. That you could reflect upon a life that was lived a long life by human standards. And it ended quietly in some sort of maha samadhi, right? That's beautiful. So on that spectrum... I would say for all of us to be aware of the transient nature 
that it could be a horrific thing. And if you look at each person you meet and think that that horrific thing could happen, it actually gives you a little extra energy when you deal with them on a regular basis. You also have your own trauma models. There are different cultures that have different ways of dealing with the remains. I was in India once and I met a group of beggar boys. Four little boys, four brothers. And I was hanging out with them and everything. I said, well, where are your parents? Well, my mom passed away recently. A few days before we met you, actually. One of the boys' name was Babalu. I just love that name. It's Babalu. And he had his littlest brother with him. wasn't much, maybe four, and the oldest may have been 11. I said, oh, really? And he says, yeah, we, she's at the pyre. And they've given us a little time to, we don't have the money for wood. So you don't have the money for wood. You don't have the money for wood. For your mother's pyre. She says, oh, she's at the ghat and they're okay with us. So I went to the burial ghat with them. And I said, I'll buy the wood. And they said, sir, we would like to take the money if you don't mind and we'll buy books because I have to educate my brothers. But you can come and see my mom. She's still pretty. And they had given them wooden mallets to break the bones of their mother to make her easier to burn with a small helping of wood. So these little boys between 11 and 4 are taking these wooden makeshift mallets made from log and stick and breaking their mother's bones so that they could easily burn. And the little ones were crying and they said, don't worry, this isn't mom. Remember when mom bought you sweets when it was real cold? And she took us to the fair and we snuck into the fair. And the man was mad, but Ma protected us. Remember when she gave us the the sugared alu and they went over a list of things that he told his little brother, remember about his mom. And it was beautiful. It was just horrific and beautiful at the same time. My God, these little boys are smashing their mother's body. And I realized at that moment that the older brother, the older one, the 11-year-old and the the 9-year-old, were even then teaching a lesson about the transient life. This isn't your mother. This is the bag your mother was in. Your mother has left this bag and she's moved into your heart. So let's get rid of this bag. Let's get rid of this bag. I have prepared bodies and you're washing the body there's no modesty there's no shame and I thought about that when my father-in-law had a stroke and he couldn't bathe himself and I bathed him and he was like a child for a moment as I washed his body and I thought this could easily be a dead body Nobody wanted to wash him up. He was so grateful that I washed him up. 
But I looked at his loved ones, my wife, my mother-in-law. And I said, wow, they don't know that we are so close to the ritual washing of a dead man. There is no shame. There's no ego. There's no modesty. All those are constructs of the living. And suddenly they don't count anymore. Suddenly they don't count. So if I could share my experiences, I would say to everybody, go through the list of people you love. Have their funeral in your mind. And think about the day before they die. What would you want to do? How would you do it? Could you do something for them that takes the burden off their day? Brings them a smile. I have a cousin that's here visiting, my my dear cousin JC. And he's working on meditation. He came in the other day and was so beautiful. He's such a strong, tough guy. And he started talking to me and he shared a tear. He started crying about something. I said, That's beautiful. I'm so glad that you love me that much that you could open your heart to me, that I am that worthy of the grace and trust today. So it was a good day to die because I live completely. I'm here for you. And you're here for me. In whatever capacity we can be. We can't be everything for everybody. But you can be here. And not somewhere else. You could be here. And you won't suddenly become a hero. Just do it in little ways. Not with everybody. You can't. We don't have the bandwidth as they say. But what about the people within arm's reach in your universe? Can you just give them a lift? So when they go and you're hurt and you long for their presence, but you know what? Have that good grief where there's nothing you wish you would have done. Nothing you wished you would have said. Nothing you left to show them. So when they go you have a tear in your, your eye, but your heart is overwhelmed with joy and gratitude that you had a time with them. That's it. Because if you don't do that, then that toxic grief enters you. The grief of things undone. The low nature of you. Where you felt you were entitled to that person. Maybe you abused your time with that person. Negligent. Thought, hey, next week I'll do it. I'll check in next summer. I'll get back around to it. There's no back around in life. So let's think about the scale of grief. The best of grief is that everything was complete 
and you hurt and you cried because it was such a good time. The party's over. Bell is rang. New day has begun. Party's over. And damn, I miss that party. Then on the other end is that toxic grief where you were a fool and you thought that you had all the time in the world. And now you feel cheated, betrayed, as if it was stolen from you. That's the grief that is the most toxic. For it is the foolish grief that far too many of us expose ourselves to. So be like the great Patanjali said, do it now. Do it now. You follow me, Vin? Yes, yeah, he. I got you. And as we're talking, it's interesting to me. The recipe for dealing with death is the same as the recipe for dealing with life. Do things now. Recognize the transience. Be grateful. Be open-hearted. We can't avoid loss. We can't avoid grief, but I like the way you put it. There are different types of grief, different degrees of grief. And if we live properly and completely, we can avoid that toxic grief. We can be more more grateful, more sad, but but also grateful for the times that we had. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.